Over the past several months, I've been compelled by our current events to revisit what the New Testament teaches us about the calling and purpose of the local church. This is something that I've already spent a lot of time pondering in the past, but with all of the recent events in our world, I can't help but be grieved for where the world is at. Even worse, when I look at social media, I'm horrified at the comments I read. Comments that project hate, division, and downright horrible opinions. These comments are are even coming from people who claim to be in Christ, and they actually believe that their opinion is biblical. The challenging part for me is that I've spent a considerable amount of time with the Scriptures, and specifically the New Testament, and I can't find anything that would support an attitude of hate, division, separation, violence, or racism. Jesus preaches love, unity, peace, and grace, and the church is called to represent these values in this broken, fallen world. We, as Christians, are the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that needs salvation. We represent Christ, and so the way we react to challenges gives others a glimpse into who we are as the church. And frankly, based on history, the global church has struggled with this calling of unconditional love for a broken world. This is why I think that this sermon series that we're going to walk through is going to be one of the most important teachings that our church has been through in a while. I'd like to spend the next several weeks exploring two simple yet profoundly important questions. What does the New Testament tell us about what the church is supposed to be. And if the church is what it is supposed to be, what does the Christian life look like? Now, keep in mind, whenever I'm referring to the church, I'm speaking in the context of the people being the church, as well as the established institution our community would recognize as the church in which people attend. Essentially, when I refer to the Christian church, I'm talking about anyone who claims to be regenerated by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you profess Christ as your Lord, you are part of the New Testament church. So what we uh, are, what, what exactly are we supposed to be as the church? And based on the conclusion of that, what should our lives as Christians look like? You can't answer the latter until you understand what the New Testament teaches about the former. Specifically, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul teaches us. And the reason that I have chosen to explore mostly what Paul teaches is because he is the one that has dealt with the most complex challenges in the Christian church. Paul dealt with the merging of Jew and Gentile, which if you know anything about first century culture, you know just how crazy a statement that truly is. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he gives us a very bold and culturally crazy statement, but I think it establishes who Paul believes the church is for and who he believes the church should look like. 
Paul writes this to deal with a dispute in the church. There are both Jews and Gentiles within the same church body. The Jews want the Gentiles to share the same marks of the covenant that they do, meaning that they want these Gentile believers to be circumcised and to follow the laws of Moses, just like Jewish believers do. You see, many believing Jews who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah continue to follow the laws that they have been taught since birth. And, and they, they were very passionate about the Gentile believers also learning and following these laws. This, th- there's a very specific reason for this, but let's read the passage first and then I'll unpack it for you. In Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 23, listen to what Paul says. He says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. He's talking to the Jewish believers. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God, both Jew and Gentile. And he says, you're children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now listen to this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is very quickly establishing that being a Christian, or in their case, since the word Christian was not yet used, a follower of the way, was established by one basic concept. Believing by faith that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, the one who was sent to bring salvation to the world. He says that, not, that, that now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, he says. What he means by this is that the mark of who they are as Jews is no longer the law, it's faith. Now, okay, so we have to take a step back here for a minute and we've got to understand something. Many people believe that the Jewish faith or the law was all about works meaning that if you were Jewish, you had to follow certain rules and regulations in order to please Yahweh. Things like being circumcised, following certain kosher food rules, like never eating pork or ham sandwiches, and living completely separate from the world around you. A good Jew would never eat or interact with an unclean Gentile pagan because they ate pork. They ate ham sandwiches. And Jews... They were under the guardian called the law. But here's the challenge for the current church. We don't understand much about what Paul is talking about here unless we understand first century Palestinian Judaism. If you don't understand what is driving Paul to teach this, then you'll probably do to these verses what many in the North American church have done with them. 
ignore their mind-blowing, countercultural, radical message and completely miss the heart of the gospel. Paul is establishing what the church should be in Christ by faith. He's merging Jew and Gentile together in a profound way. In the church's history, we've often understood the Jewish faith to be a works-based faith. In other words, like I said before, in order to earn God's favor, you had to do specific things to please God. But here's the problem. The Jewish religion was not a works-based faith. It was a covenant-based faith. The works of the law were not how you became a Jew. For most, you were born as one, and the law was what separated you as a Jew from the rest of the pagan world. So living as a Jew was all about living the law so that the world around you would know that you're different and that you served the one and only God, Yahweh. You see, the the Jews were monotheistic, meaning that they believed in only one God, where the Gentile pagans followed many gods. So by the time of Jesus, Judaism and the law were more about being seen and recognized as a Jew by certain law-based marks, rather than actually having faith that God was with you or active in your life. The law was the mark of being a Jew, being a descendant of Abraham, being part of the family of God. This was the covenant promise the Jews believed that they were under. If they were born into a Jewish family and they looked Jewish based on the marks of the law, then they would be good with God. In in no way did a Jew in the time of Jesus believe that they needed to earn through works favor with God. This is important to understand because if we think that they were works-based, then we hear Paul's words very differently. We hear in this passage that faith has replaced works. But what Paul is actually saying is that faith has replaced the guardian, the marks of the law. Things like eating kosher and being circumcised were no longer the evidence or distinction of serving the one true God. In other words, the Jewish religion has now been opened up to all people through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. The mark of a follower of the way was now the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, or as Paul puts it, the Spirit-filled life. So listen to what he does here in Galatians. He says, there's no Jew nor Gentile, there's no slave nor free, nor male or female, Paul hits three distinct issues with this passage that would be very radical to the covenant-based Judaic system. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. This hits the ethnic mark in the Christian church. There is no ethnic separation anymore. Why? Well, because we are all one in Christ, he says. Christ has broken down the ethnic barriers of the church, of the world. And then he says, neither slave nor free, which hits the issue of social or socioeconomic class. In the Christian church, folks, there are no social classes. Christ has broken down the barrier that separates people into classes. He's broken down the barrier of separating people into classes and what that produces. 
And then to wrap up this radical teaching, Paul hits the issue of gender. There's no male or female, which means there is no distinction or separation of gender in the Christian church. Now, think about this. Paul is teaching a group of Jews, a group of Jews about this new movement called the way and what it's all about. It's all about tearing down the barriers that cause us to treat people differently. It's all about taking a posture of welcome rather than a posture of separation. No more ordering life based based on ethnicity, class, or gender because we are all one in Christ. You see, the New Testament church is marked by one specific spirit-filled trait, oneness. Oneness. You'll hear a lot about that in the New Testament and in the teachings of Paul, that we are one in Christ, that we have this unique oneness that we bring to the world. We are all one. We are all part of one family. No matter where you come from or what your background is, in Christ we are a family. Paul present, his, what Paul presents here is a radical vision for the church. He challenges them to bring both Jew and Gentile together at one table, which is insane. You see, they hated each other. Paul gives us a picture of Jew and Gentile seated at the same table with a Gentile eating a ham sandwich, and the Jew is okay with it. This is Paul's view of the church in Christ. Sadly, I'm not sure we've actually grasped the radical nature and call of these verses. Instead, the church continues to create separation and lacks unity. The author of the Cornerstone Biblical Commentary addresses this when teaching on these verses in Galatians. Listen to what he says. These verses articulate a fundamental Christian truth in declaring the full acceptance and equality of all Christians in the community of Christ. But in the history of the church, Christians have repeatedly failed to accept the radical implications of this new community by failure to acknowledge communal equality of those with different skin color or ethnic background, those of different economic and social status, or those of different gender. Repeatedly and tragically, the church has separated believers on the basis of superficial characteristics confining certain kinds of people to one side of the church, to the balconies or to the separate assemblies, or to separate assemblies. The result is that human distinctions, rather than unity in Christ, have often become the identifying marks of Christian communities. Such distinctions will not exist in the new heaven and the new earth. And Paul's vision was that they should be removed from our community on this earth. You see, the North American church has lost its way, I believe. And it's time that we get back to what the New Testament calls us to be. Let me give you an example from real life as to what Paul is communicating here in Galatians. And I'm going to base this story off the title of this series called Tossed Salad. 
And the church is called to be an amazing tossed salad. But the challenge is there are different opinions on how to make a great salad. American theologian from Northern Seminary, Scott McKnight, explains it like this. He says there are three main ways in North America that we make a tossed salad. There's the weird way, the North American way, and then there's, frankly, the right way. The weird way is when you cut up all the ingredients in the salad and you separate them. Kind of weird since it's called a tossed or mixed salad. The North American way is when you put all the amazing ingredients in, like lettuce, black olives, green peppers, cucumbers, maybe you sprinkle in some shredded carrots, but then you smother it all with ranch dressing so it all tastes the same. Then there's the New Testament way of making a salad, the right way. You place all of the fresh ingredients, your lettuce, your black olives, your green peppers, your cucumbers, whatever uh, you desire. And instead of separating them or smothering the ingredients with dressing, you put just a little bit of olive oil on it. The olive oil brings out all of the amazing flavors of each individual ingredient to make an amazing tossed salad. So let me break this down for you a bit. You see the weird salad is the church that separates itself. Like, we have the Asian church, we have the black church, we have the predominantly white church, we have the middle-class church, the upper-class church, the poor church, we have the charismatic church. You get the picture. The New Testament never speaks of such a church separated by ethnicity, class, or gender. It only speaks of one church under Christ. The North American salad It's the one where you embrace all of the ingredients together, kind of, but you smother it all. And it all has one taste, just the taste of ranch dressing. In other words, it's a church that says you have to believe exactly the same doctrines that we believe. You have to read the same version of the Bible that we read. You have to sing the same songs, the same type of music. You have to order your worship services a very specific way, and everyone better like it the same, or you just won't belong to our family. But the salad, the salad that Paul presents, has many amazing ingredients. And each of these ingredients have their own individual flavor. And each flavor brings a unique gift to the salad. And the olive oil, the Holy Spirit, brings each flavor out so when joined together, the salad is complete. No one flavor is more important than the other. They all play an important role in the overall salad. This is what Paul presents in the New Testament. A church that is spirit-filled, living by faith, under the grace of God. A church that welcomes everyone to the table. Both Jews and Gentiles at the same table with the Gentile eating a ham sandwich and the Jew is okay with it. No more fighting. No more division. You see, no one should be invisible in the Christian church. No one should be told that they don't belong. 
Anyone who believes that Jesus Christ is their Lord, anyone who has received the grace of Jesus is welcome in the New Testament church because we are all one in Christ. So let me ask you as kind of a litmus test. When you look at your church, do you see a diverse mixed salad where every flavor is welcomed and enhanced by the olive oil? Or do you see one of the other kinds of salad that sin and culture has corrupted? Is there any, anyone that is invisible in your church? What about the widows? Does your church do a good job caring for the widows? James, the brother of Jesus, says that the only religion that is acceptable to God is caring for the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the oppressed, the marginalized people in our world. And he did, did you know that when someone loses a loved one and becomes a widow or a widower, that they lose, on average, 75% of their friendships in the church? Have you noticed this? What are we doing about the widows? Or children? Does your church have any? If, they, if, if, if you do... Are they secondary to big people's church? Or are they an equal part of the life of your church? You see, often children get ignored in many churches. What about women? Do they have a voice in your church? Are they at the table where, where decisions are being made? Or do men make the decisions and women do the work? In the New Testament church, all parts of the body are considered equal and just as important as another. What about the poor? Or those who might be struggling with their faith and have questions? Is your church caring for the poor and open to talking about difficult questions? Now, what about the LGBTQ plus community? Let's set aside for a minute the debates around what the Bible teaches around this question and just ask yourself this. Are people in your church able to be honest about their sexuality? Or do they catch the message, even subtly, that the gospel is not for them, that they're not welcome? The vision Paul gives of the New Testament church is one of great diversity, saturated in grace, and driven by love. Because that is what the Christian life is all about, learning to love one another by the power of God's grace so we can flourish as the people of God in this world. Scott McKnight says this, he says, the purpose of the church is to be the kingdom in the present world. And the Christian life is all about learning to live into that kingdom reality in the here and now. With the state of the current world, could you imagine a church like what Paul presents? Everyone would be looking to the church to find its way through all of this craziness. The church would be the most respected people and place in the world if it would just live worthy of its calling. Now, the Apostle Paul expands on this teaching in his letter to the Colossians. In this version of the text, Paul moves beyond the concept and tells us what, the, con what the, the Christian life actually should look like. In Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 17, 
Listen to how Paul goes further with this verse. He says here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And now he uses the word therefore, a a, a word that transitions us into the practical piece of the verse. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Here's the marks of a Christian. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And now listen to what he says. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then listen to how Paul ends this passage. And whatever you do, so no matter what, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The church, when living in the oneness, when clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, that's a church that knows how to forgive, that doesn't hold grudges or judge others simply because we've been forgiven. We have all been given the olive oil, the Holy Spirit, so it's all possible with him. The church can be the mixed salad it's called to be if its people would begin to press into their faith practice spiritual disciplines that the scriptures describe and begin to live by love rather than self-centeredness. So reach out to Jesus and ask him to change your perspective of the world. Ask him to help you see the world as he sees it with compassion and grace, not with a lens of difference, but with a lens of oneness in Jesus. As we progress in this series over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to press in to answering those two questions, to press in to what the church is called to be and what the Christian life is called to look like. And we're going to do it based on the New Testament's perspective. Not on other people's opinions, not on religion, not on worldly structures and culture, but the New Testament. And so I'm excited for the New Testament to begin to shape and mold us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to encourage us, and to teach us 
what Jesus is calling each of us to. What a powerful and relevant message in light of everything that's going on in our world right now. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the gospel has the ability to break down walls, to transform lives and communities, and ultimately to change the world. Imagine what it would look like in this moment in time for the church to really rise up and represent the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. We're going to close our service with a blessing that really asks God to disrupt our comfortable lives in all of the right ways so that we can be people whose lives are defined by this radical gospel. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. We hope to see you at six o'clock this evening for the practice. Have a great day.